Hey, good morning, Southside. Yeah, all right. Everybody's awake this morning. That's awesome. Hey, uh, I'm so excited to be back with you guys. My name's George Franco. If we haven't had a chance to meet or if this is your first time, and uh, I'm the guest speaker, and so don't worry, the, the regular guy, Pastor Mike, will be back next week. But uh, I was here last week, and they invited me back, so I can't be too bad uh, to be out here on stage with you guys today, all right? Um, Hey, I just want to tell you, like, I have had so much fun this past week. Like, I got a chance to speak with you guys last week, and I've heard some people come up to me and say, hey, here's some ways that God has challenged me inside of my relationships last week. And so that's all we want here at Southside is for you to come and hear the message that God wants for you, the very best life, and to take those things and try and apply it into your life from day to day and see what God will do inside of your life. He'll do amazing things. And I got some time to be with some leaders this week here at Southside, and they're amazing, and some volunteers, team members. Members. They're amazing, doing amazing things. Like the Southside staff, like I hope you guys know what a gift you have in leadership from Pastor Mike and Corinne all the way down through all the staff. They're amazing. And then um, I got to go over to the building site this week. And mm -hmm. oh my gosh, like it's really cool. Like it's going to happen. It's happening right now. Like really good things are happening. And when I look at those design plans, like the thousands of hours that have gone into intentionality, to purpose, to, to say that we have the very best message to share with our community, and we're building a building that represents the best message ever, and it is amazing. And so I just wanna, I wanna take a minute and say thank you, Southsiders, for your commitment to see a facility like that built in this community that will share the good news with Jesus. You guys have prayed about it, you've served, you've, you've given sacrificially so that this building could be built. And just as a pastor, as a friend of the church, as a person who loves Southside, to see that coming to fruition is absolutely amazing. And then to show up on Sunday morning, get cheered for, and then listen, this worship <laughs> team, absolutely amazing. Like the resurrected king is resurrecting me. New life through Jesus. That's what we celebrate, right? And then to come to, Lord, I need you. Because in my life, man, I need God more and more. I'm realizing every single day, more and more in my life, that I can't get through my life the way that I'd want to or I want to thrive without God. I need more of God in my life and less of me in my life. And so it's just a powerful week for me. It's just absolutely amazing. So I don't know if you guys can feel it, but God is doing something incredible here at Southside. And I just want to take a minute and celebrate. Now, the, the eight o'clock service was incredible. Like, I think there's cracks in the roof because they cheered so loud. But I'm just going to ask you, can we just take a minute and celebrate not Southside, but what God's doing in the Chilliwack community? Can we do that? Ready? One, two, three. Yeah, God. Woo! Yes. Man. It, this... It doesn't happen everywhere. It's a really special place. And so last week I was telling you all these stories, you know, about my marriage relationship. And a couple of people were like, uh, are you really married? Because we haven't nice. seen your wife. And so like, here she is. Like, She's this here. is my wife, Tara. <laughs> yes. And although I didn't get to be here all week long, um, I did miss a few phone calls from George because again, he was so excited about being with all of your <laughs> leaders and staff members. I went to bed saying, I'm going to guess he's okay and having a really good time. Oh, really good he time. loves to be up here, and I do as well. I was doing the total tourist thing this morning as I was driving in the way to church. Well, I was not. I was sitting. He was driving. Um, but I totally had my phone out. I was taking pictures of your mountains and the condensation coming up and snow on the tops of mountains. And 
I know he said last week he didn't say y'all very much. I might slip and say it. I apologize. But in North Carolina, we have some mountains. They never have snow on them. Um, and they're not near us. So like, what a beautiful place you live in and what a cool community this is and community of believers. I've spent some time up here as well, but not up here. I usually sit down there and encourage him and give him, you know, doing great, watch your time, all that kind of stuff. But um, Today I can't do that, so <laughs> um, I'm up here. So we're going to do things a little bit differently, and I'm excited about it. It's, yeah. It was fun. We had a great time in the first service, and hopefully we'll have a great time this service together. And um, so here's the thing. If you're new here or if you haven't been here for a little while, I just want to catch you up. We've been in this uh, message of Samuel. We've been following the story of this guy in the Bible whose name is Samuel, and we've been following his life, and there's tons of things that we can learn from the life of Samuel that God wants in each of our lives along the way. But here's the thing that we've been leaning into last week, and we'll lean into this week and uh, for a few weeks to come is this idea that Samuel had these really interesting relationships. In fact, some people might say it's complicated for Samuel <laughs> along the way. And last week, as we looked at relationships, we springboarded into this idea of what does God want for us in our marriage relationships? So some of you right away are like, oh, I'm not married, I'm single. Or uh, maybe some of you are dating and thinking about getting married, but you're not really ready to sit in the marriage conversation. There's some of you have been married way longer than Tara and I have been married. And you're like, we already know all the answers to the quiz that you're going to yeah. ask along the way. <laughs> and, um, but there might be some people that have gone through a marriage already and are looking to remarry or entering a new marriage relationship. And there's always something that we can learn about what God wants for us in marriage. And so whether you're single, someday you might be married, whether you're engaged in getting ready to get married, or whether you're in a marriage relationship or in between those relationships, I really believe that today God has something specific for each one of us to learn from today's message. And I get the chance to teach it with my best friend and my wife, Tara. So fun, mm -hmm. so fun. Well, last week, Georgia did tackle that idea that sometimes in our marriage relationships, um, they just don't seem to be measuring up to what we thought they would, right? Um, I heard this little story about a young little guy. So this little boy says to um, his sister in the back seat of their car, hey, one day when I get married, I'm gonna marry you. To which his sister actually exclaimed, ooh, disgusting, gross, like you can't do that. That's not a thing. And so he said, well, then forget that. Then I'm going to marry mommy. And she said, ew, even grosser. You can't marry mommy. Mommy's married to daddy. And the mom, looking from the front seat, saw the son's disappointed face and kind of discouraged and know which way to go now. All of his options had been, you know, shot. Um, and so she looked at him and she said, son, she's like, when you marry someday, you cannot marry someone in your family. To which he exclaimed, do you mean I have to marry an absolute stranger? <laughs> And so there you are, folks. Sometimes you look at the person that you've married, whether it's a year in, five years in, 10 years in, or 29 years in, and you say, you feel like a stranger. Tara, are yes, you saying sir. something to me? I am not like, saying anything We're supposed to be to teaching you. something up here. Uh, this isn't an intervention. Wait, this is a good thing. Right? No, this okay. is a good segue. Right. Hang with me. Hang with me. Yeah, you look at that. I mean, George and I have had some great times and some great years, and God's done some amazing things in our marriage. And then we've kind of cycled through some valleys where it's not been as great. We've not felt it. We've communicated as well or connected as well. And God's worked through those times in our lives, too. And so we're here to talk through that a little bit today. What's caused some of that, maybe? And um, how can we prevent some of that from for you, or at least give you some things to think on from God's word. So follow me for a second. Marriage can be like a car. When your car is working, marriage is working, things are great. And sometimes you might even take it for granted. When it's not working, 
Some of us want to dig in deep and say, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to get it right. I'm going to work really hard until it's back to where it was. And others of us say, nah, let's just trade it in. I need a newer model. I need a different model, right? And I'm not willing to put in the work that it takes to bring this car, this marriage, back to where it once was. Well, today, we want to encourage you to work at it until it's fixed. Like, marriage isn't easy. It's for you single people that are out there. Like, sit back today and realize you've made absolutely no mistakes in marriage so far. Congratulations, and that is great. Keep your record going strong. But I hate to tell you that when you get marriage... You're probably going to make some mistakes. Um, but with God's power and God's help and equipment or in equipping, you can overcome those and continue to strengthen and build your marriage over years. Ephesians 5.21 says this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. A little bit further into our message today, George is going to talk about what that Christ-like submission really looks like, what it looks like to put that other person before yourself. Um, but we all come into marriage with these imaginations. I want to talk about these two buckets here for a minute. We come into marriage with dreams, desires, imaginations, things we hope for, and maybe they are realistically from a relationship that we've seen. Maybe our grandparents or our parents had this amazing relationship. And so you might say, oh, I want to get to the point one day that when we have children, like we have enough of this that I can choose if I want to stay home and raise our children, if I want to pinch back from full-time work to part-time work, um, or if I want to put all my eggs in that, in that kiddo basket and I want to stay home and nurture those kids and raise them. And, and so we have that desire. It's not bad. God gives us that desire. Maybe your desire coming into marriage is that someone else would do all of the cleaning because you're not a cleaner. You really don't even care about that kind of stuff. You like appreciate a clean home, but the scrubbing and the, and the wiping and all, not your thing. And so you're going, I desire to marry somebody who just loves to clean. They're a clean freak. That would be amazing, right? Um, maybe you are somebody who has said, man, I growing up had this fantastic house with a backyard and two-car garage we had time to or room to play and to run around and so maybe you say ah when we have a family of our own i want to get to the point where we can afford to buy a home as well with detached walls and um, a yard that we can take care of and run around in and lastly maybe and george's i know talked about this a few times when he's been up here but perhaps um, it's important to you one day to get enough expendable cash that you might get something red, fast, and fancy, um, like a... Lamborghini. Of course. He's not getting a Lamborghini. It's not a big secret, but we're just keep, we just keep talking about it. I know. Uh, he can keep this all day long. He can, yeah, this is yours. <laughs> no, this is Southside's, actually. You can't have that. That's stealing. That's stealing. It stays here, I promise you. <laughs> um, but these things are all great. God gives us his desires and these dreams, and they're amazing. They're built within us. And whether, again, we say, I saw this modeled for me at home, or whether we say, I saw a different situation modeled for me at home, and I want to do exactly the opposite when I have a family or a marriage of my own. Those are fine, as long as we keep them in the desire bucket. But if you listened, a lot of the things or the terminology that I used when I went through those was included the word I. So it's like I envisioned, I hope for, I dream for, I desire. 
And what happens is when we begin to move those things into this expectation box, we put an expectation on our spouse that says, I have this expectation that says, man, when I'm gonna have a baby someday, like you better be making enough money that I get to choose. Because I'm not gonna do this whole full-time working and raising kids and all of that thing. That's too hard for me. So I expect that that's gonna be an option for me that I can choose. And maybe the spousal who is not a cleaner will say, hey, I have this expectation that when I come home, like things are scrubbed and cleaned and germ-free-ish, right? Laundry's done and put away for me. I, I, I don't have time to do all of that, and you said you wanted to do that, so my expectation is that, yeah, you're gonna follow through on that. Same thing with the house, right? What happens when we get to that stage in life where we thought we'd have a house, we kind of put a time stamp on it, and we get there and we say, well, are we even any closer? Like, are we there yet? How long? Until this becomes a reality for our family, for our marriage. And those things become expectations. And without even knowing it, you have put stressors on your spouse that if they don't live up to them, they feel like they're constantly not measuring up and they're failing. That's a tough place to be, tough place to be in marriage. So I'd ask you to ask yourself this. Did you say I do because you thought he or she would? Did you say I do thinking he or she would? And maybe today you're in this spot in your marriage where you're saying, like, I did, and now he or she hasn't. And you're kind of at a crossroads, and you're saying, where do we go from here? Like, is there any hope for us? Like, I feel all the weight of this, and it's really tough. And I'm ready to just call it quits. It's difficult. Here's how you know if you've put things in this box. You have um, neglected to express gratitude. Because we don't say thank you for things that we expect, right? Like not normally. So we might say those staying at home, working outside of the home, that kind of thing, when we get to that point. Like if your spouse, it could be either spouse, I mean we live in a country, countries, yours and ours included, um, that have different living situations and so spouses have the freedom to choose however they want to raise their families. But maybe one of your spouses has gotten the opportunity to stay home and raise children exclusively, right? When's the last time when that other partner went out the door that you said, hey, thank you. Thanks for going to work today. Like, it's hard, I know. You fight traffic to get there. People aren't always godly throughout your day. You have big, stressful decisions to make. I just appreciate you going to do that so that I can stay here and do what God's called me to do. The other thing is maybe, um, you know, you have gotten this. Maybe you have gotten the big house or the house you wanted. It could be just right for your family. When's the last time you said to your spouse, hey, I appreciate what you've done to make that happen. I appreciate how you helped me to maintain that. The other thing that you can know for sure if you've moved things to desire to expectation besides your expressions of gratitude are your acts of service. When's the last time, and I know this happens because it might happen in our house, when's the last time that you finish a drink late at night and you go to put it in the dishwasher 
and all the dishes are clean. And you're at the decision-making point, right? Like, it's 11 o'clock, and I'm really tired, and it's just one glass. Like, I don't want to wake you up. He doesn't want to wake me up. That's often his reason, right. not excuse. I, I would never dishes, call it an excuse. If I start doing the dishes, it might wake you up. It would be music to, to my to. ears. <laughs> it be am- might just lull me back to sleep. We don't know. We've not tried it very often. But <laughs> so there's this full dishwasher, right? You've got one glass, and you're going, oh, it pains me to even think about unloading a whole dishwasher because it might take 10 minutes, right? Um, and put this one glass in the dishwasher and start my spouse's day out with like just one glass in the dishwasher. Like that's an act of service. We have a decision to make. Like if I moved it in the expectation, I might put that glass in the sink and just kind of shrug my shoulder and say, I mean, she always does the dishes. Like I think she really likes to do the dishes. So I'm gonna leave that for her to do in the morning. I hate to start her day off funny, right? So there's that. The other act of service that I was thinking about when I, when I was kind of putting this together was, what if it is not generally your job to mow, the, to mow the lawn, the grass, and you pull into the driveway and the grass is now 18 inches, maybe your spouse has been away on a trip all week long, and you're looking at it and you know the neighbors are about ready to call, or do you guys have homeowners associations up here? We have those in the United States. They have the right to say you moved into this neighborhood, so we will give you a notice that says, excuse me, your grass is too long, please mow it. You're making the rest of us look bad. So if you get one of those on your door, right? But you say, ah, my spouse mows the grass. And I don't wanna ruin like the pattern that they do in the grass, or I don't wanna lower or higher the deck on the mower. It would totally mess them up. So I'm just gonna close that garage door, go inside and pretend I never saw the length of the grass today, right? It was an expectation. You've already set in your mind that that's not my job. I expect that my spouse is gonna do that. Yeah, and practically inside of our marriage, like I'm really, like I don't like to do dishes or laundry. I don't know why. <laughs> I think I had to do it as a kid. So often, I, I early on, I had that as a, on my chore chart. Like those were the things that I had to do in my house growing up. And I told Tara, like when we got married, I'm like, hey, I'm really not good at dishes and laundry. I was just setting the table, making sure she was aware of what she was getting into. It was a clear conversation. Along the way. But here's the interesting thing, because she knows that about me. Um, it's never been really a fight or an argument inside of our house along in our relationship. But when I take time and actually put all the dishes in the dishwasher or take all the dishes out and put them up, she notices it. Oh, yeah. And she says to me, thank you so much for doing that. It's something different out of the ordinary that I do. And so in my acts of service to Tara, like one of the things that I see about her is like, she's not the greatest at keeping her car clean and maintained and full of fuel along the way. And so um, on Saturdays or sometimes on Sunday afternoon, I'll take her car, I'll take it down and I'll get it washed. I'll vacuum it out. I'll take leather conditioner and wipe it all down so it smells like a new car. And uh, I'll fill it up (laughs) with gas and I'll bring it back and I park it in the driveway. I don't usually come into the house and say, hey, I cleaned your car again and filled it up with gas because it was on empty again and make her feel bad about it. I just park it in the driveway and go about the rest of my day And on Monday, when she gets in her car, I usually get a text message or a phone call, and she's like, hey, 
I just want to say thank you for taking care of me. Thanks for making my car really special. It makes me feel good to be in a nice clean car and it, and it smells good and it's full of fuel. I don't have to worry about running out of gas along the way. And we've seen that practically just play out in our relationship, acts of service to one another, knowing that there's things the other person desires, but they've not become expectations on hard expectations on one another, but they, uh, when those things happen, that acts of gratitude, the thankfulness back to one another. Yeah. And so I would leave this question with you for the rest of the week when you're thinking, do I have desires? Have I put them in the expectation bucket? Like, where are those thoughts in my mind in regards to our marriage? I would ask you to ask yourself this question. What does your spouse owe you? What does your spouse owe you? Whatever your answer is, is in this bucket already. So think through that a little bit this week as you go back to, what, what, does, what do I really feel like my spouse owes me? And you may come to some um, things that need to be recalibrated a little bit in your marriage. I mean, I'm a guy, so I wrote down sex, money, and time. Those were the I, three I things would. that I feel like you owe me along the way. But I have no words. <laughs> but seriously, I mean, like, come on. It's, but those are <laughs> desires, right, in this bucket. <clears throat> But when they become unrealistic expectations, that's where it moves to a dangerous point in our relationship. In fact, it moves into this place of a, a debt-debtor relationship. It becomes a contract. It's like, Tara, I expect you to do these things for me. And when she doesn't do it, that's when the fights, the arguments begin to break out because she's missed my demands. And if she doesn't do her part, I expect not to do certain things for her along the way as well. So think about it in the way of a, of a bank. Like you go to a bank, you take out a mortgage, and uh, they loan you money, right? But they just don't say, hey, you're the nicest person in the world. We just want to give you some money today, right? They're like, uh, we expect that to be paid back in monthly payments with interest because we want to make a profit. The bank wants something out of it. So you sign your name on this little contract that says, I get this and I'll give you that along the way. And so another way to think about it is if you own a home and you have a mortgage, you've probably never received this pretty little envelope from the bank that's perfume scented. It's got this beautiful smelling fragrance on it. Nice cursive handwriting on the very front of the envelope. When you open it up, it's this pretty little card and it's got a gift card maybe to Starbucks or your favorite restaurant in town. And they're like, hey, thank you so much for paying your mortgage payment this month. We're so thankful for that. <laughs> what a kind act of service that you did there. We're just grateful for your payment to us. Like, no, the only time you get any statement from the bank, any letter from the bank, it's usually a different color. Sometimes in the States, it's pink or red, and it says, warning, you have not held up to your end of the obligation. If you don't correct it, there'll be late fees and all kinds of charges, and eventually we're going to repo your house if you don't pay us, because you owe us along the way. Think about that in the terms of your marriage relationship that when I don't meet your expectations along the way, and it's a debt-debtor relationship, then all of a sudden, I'm going to begin to hear from her. Hey, you missed my expectations. Here's my notice to you. Get with it, because you owe me something mm -hmm. along the way. And that's what we want to avoid, and that's uh, <clears throat> the whole thing of the desires and expectations. The verse that we used today was Ephesians 5.21. Um, if we can throw that back up just for a minute, I want you guys to focus on this for a minute. We're going to spend the rest of our time just unpacking this verse for a little bit. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And this is a powerful passage. It's in Ephesians. It's the, it's the passage that's oftentimes spoke about in marriage relationships. When you go to weddings, you'll see uh, wives submit to your husbands, husbands uh, love your wives as Christ loved the church. But the thing that we often forget is that it is anchored in this passage. It's anchored in this passage, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so what does that mean? What is submission? Because submission has all kinds of connotations. Some of you automatically said, oh, I don't like that because submission in the dictionary means coming under someone's authority along the way. And if you're a boss, a manager, a supervisor, you, you're in a spot where you're over people and you get to tell them what to do and you're in charge and you're in authority. And for all of us at some point in our life, we've been under someone else's authority that they've abused it along the way. And that's why we don't like that word submit. Like, you mean somebody else is the boss of me? I don't want somebody else to be the boss of me um, along the way. And so sometimes as we think about submission, we get really negative connotations with it. And instead of being negative, what I want to do is talk about what submission is not. I want to start with what submission isn't. So submission isn't permission to mistreat one another. When we think about the word submit, it's not allowing us to mistreat or be abusive to another person along the way, the other person in our relationship. Submission is not agreeing all the time. I would venture to say we don't agree all the time, right, Tara? I mean, there's been a time or two. There's been a time. Um, it usually happens Absolutely. in the car because she likes the temperature higher and warmer and I like I the do. temperature cooler and we don't agree on it. But in your relationship, that's, that's a really simplistic way of looking at yeah. it. But there's going to be times where we just don't agree with one another along the way. Submission is not living or acting in fear. And so if you're in a relationship where you're fearful and you're acting out of fear, that is not what God designed. That's not what God's talking about here. He's not saying put yourself in a place or position where you're unsafe or fearful in life along the way. Submission in the context of a Christian relationship is this idea of putting uh, oneself, putting the other person above you, putting their interest, the things that they desire above your own. And it's a powerful phrase. Like when I think about Tara and her desires, the things that she had in this green bucket, when I think about my relationship with Tara, I'm not thinking about what I want from Tara or what she owes me. I actually come into the submit idea with the idea that Tara has all these desires and they're way more important than me. And that I want to make sure that I serve Tara, that I love Tara in a way that her personal interests, her personal desires are being met along the way. And then this idea out of reverence for Christ, this idea of reverence, like when we go to a funeral celebration um, and we celebrate somebody's life, we're going with a reverence where we go and we say, hey, we're thankful for that person and the things that they did in our life and we're grateful for them, and we want to be, we're expressing reverence to them. And so when we take that passage and we think about submit, it's saying, hey, what God's saying is what I want you to do is take your interests, lay those aside, look at the other person and say, your interests are way more important than my interests. I don't want anything out of this other than to serve you, and I'm doing it because of my gratefulness for Jesus. So let's, let's take that a little bit further. I'm saying that when my relationship with Tara or Tara's relationship with me, that when we are married, that I come into this place and I say, Tara, your interests or your desires are way more important than mine. And I'm going to love you and I'm going to serve those interests the best that I possibly can, expecting nothing back in return because Jesus did the exact same thing for me. 
that 2,000 years ago that he left heaven, a perfect place. He came down here to earth, a dirty, messy place, and he died a painful and cruel death on the cross for my sins, for all my wrongdoings, past, present, and future, for your sins, for my sins, for everyone's sins who would believe in him. And he canceled the debt. He took the debt-debtor relationship and tore it up because there was no way with everything that we have done wrong against God that we could reconcile that debt. There's no way that we could pay that off. We didn't deserve it. And what God is saying to each one of us when you enter into that marriage relationship, tear up the note. There is no contract. What I want you to do is put that other person's interest in front of yours with nothing expected back in return and channel all of that into them, the strongest that you possibly can, simply because you're so thankful that Jesus loved you the same way when you didn't deserve it. Yeah. And I think what's really cool, it's a blessing, but it also comes with a, um, a huge amount of responsibility as you steward over your spouse. God is actually saying, like, George, I have sent you Tara to be a tangible and physical love from me day in and day out. Comes with huge responsibility. Like, I'm to be the hands and feet of Jesus to George because he's put me in this relationship with George, in this covenant with George that says, hey, the only way I can show George best that I love him is if Tara, you who've committed to do so, love George the way I have loved you. It's a huge amount of responsibility, but it really does put it into perspective. There was a time in our relationship where there's been several times in our relationship where we've modeled that best. And um, as we were preparing, Tara came up with a story about how she felt I modeled that uh, to mm -hmm. her. Yeah, I did. Um, he actually called me and he's like, can you think of a time where like I unconditionally loved you? And he's like, I just can't one. really think I of one. <laughs> it's like, I can think of a ton, but one immediately, immediately came to mind. And it does have to do with that little car that was in here um, because that's kind of George's love language. He loves things with motors that go fast and work well and make lots of noise and all those kinds of things. So to George, it doesn't matter if it is a, a car, a truck, a boat, um, for Pete's sake, it'd probably be a camper, um, um, or a motorcycle. But for George, like, he loves to have really nice cars, really good things to work with and play around with, let's be honest. Um, and so in college, when I had met George, we'd been dating for a little while, and he was saving towards something. Um, and he had let me know, like, I've been saving my money, I've got my eye on something, I'm making some phone calls, going and test driving some things, and um, I'll let you know when it comes to fruition. And so we talked about it, and what he said was, I really wanna buy my first motorcycle. Like when I lived at home, my parents were like, uh uh, Nick's on the motorcycle thing. We're like, not while you live under our roof. He was not living under their roof anymore. So he's like, I'm gonna get a motorcycle. So he saved and he saved and he did. He made all kinds of calls. He did all kinds of research and he finally came down to one that he found and he said, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna drive and um, see if this is really all it looks like it's supposed to be. And so he comes back to campus one night and he has this bright red, like Kawasaki Ninja motorcycle. And he is showing me every little curve and you know, bell and whistle on this bike and he's so excited about it. Matching helmet. It had a matching helmet. It, and not only had a matching helmet, but he explained that it was a hand-painted helmet. So someone had taken the bike and taken this helmet and taken, I don't know, all the kind of like pinstripes and stuff that were on the bike and mimicked it on the helmet. And he's like, 
Tara, look what we've got. And I was like, we have got this? We don't care, but he cared, and that was great. I'm like, you have got it. It was a desire that's amazing. And he did, he would most days finish up class, never cut class, I'm sure of that. Yeah, right. Um, and he met a group of like three or four different guys who also had motorcycles. And we were in Ohio where the terrain is very flat, but it can get windy, so they would go out on these back country roads in Ohio, and they would just open up these bikes. And so they would do all kinds of cool things and they would run fast and he would come back and report how well his bike did as they were on a ride. And then one day he just came to me and he said, hey, I just want to let you know, like, I'm going to sell the bike. And I was like, you're going to sell the bike? And I was like, the motorcycle? Like, you haven't had it that long? I'm like, why, why are you going to sell the motorcycle? Like, you love this. Remember all the curves and the matching helmet and the, you know, the opening up and all those kinds of things. And how are you going to, like, still kind of hang with these biker guys that you like so much at our college? And he's like, nah, he's like, yeah, it's just what I wanted to do. He's like, I wanted to sell the bike. And he's like, I'm just going to put the money away for now. And I didn't understand at the time the significance of selling the bike. I knew that it was something that he loved and he'd given up. But essentially what it came down to was a couple months later, when he took me out to dinner, asked me if I would be his partner for life and um, gave me what I now call George's Red Kawasaki Ninja <laughs> that I wear every single day. He got me an engagement ring with that money. And so he found that the desires of my heart were more important than yeah, his desire for a motorcycle at that time, which was super sweet. It doesn't have a matching helmet. But it does not. No. <laughs> no. It's come with much better rewards along the way. And so we just wanted to share with you some stories about our life and what it looks like to submit, <clears throat> to put the other person's interest above our own, not expecting anything in return because Jesus loved us so much. And there's this passage in Philippians that says, do nothing out of selfish ambition and vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourselves. And when you think about what Jesus did, it was great humility to leave a perfect heaven and come down here to a messy earth and to love us and to put our interest above his own because he loved us so much. And so that's the whole idea of submit. If you take Ephesians 5.21, Ephesians 5.21, Ephesians 5.21, and you put that at the head of your relationship where you're becoming an, an act of service to your spouse saying, I put your interest above mine. I love you so much. And it's because Jesus loved me. And I want to leave you with one story about Tara and I that has solidified this in my life more than any other story that we could share with you today is um, in my 20s, early 20s, I, I went through cancer twice. The second time was pretty intense because I knew what was ahead of me. I knew there was surgery. I knew there was chemotherapy. And, and chemotherapy is really tough. I know a lot of you have had experience with that or know a friend that's been through it. And different regimens are different, but mine was really intense. Mine, mine was the Mac Daddy of chemo treatments where it was so intense you got sick a lot. And uh, the uh, treatment was continuous. And so I went in the hospital second week. They put the IV into my vein. Almost instantly, you get a metallic taste as the chemical begins to course through your veins. And uh, so you don't feel like eating. I stopped eating on day one. And somewhere in the afternoon of day one, I begin to throw up. And you begin to sweat. You know how your body sweats and seeps a little bit throughout the day anyway? Well, those drugs are coming through your pores, and they smell horrible. 
Like you really stink in a different way. And now I'm throwing up and so I've got spit and vomit all over my hospital gown, my bed sheets. And with this course of chemo, I had extreme diarrhea, which was horrible. Like you're really, you run out of energy. It's hard to get out of the bed and go to the bathroom. At some point you stop. And so you're trying to use bedpans and all the other devices that are there to try and, and do something somewhat humanely and hygienically along the way. But instead it was all over me and I was a mess. Tara comes into the hospital room. I think it was on a Thursday morning. And she looked at me and she said, are you okay? And I said, I'm not, I'm in a bad, bad place. Like emotionally and spiritually, I'm trying to lean in. I know God's in this somewhere, but, but like physically, I stink. I'm filthy. I'm dirty. I just feel like a wretch. And she goes, well, let's take a shower. And I said, I, I can't. I have no energy. Like, I, I cannot get out of this bed. And she said, I think you can. She goes, let me come over here. So she put the bed rail down and she pulls me up out of the bed and gets me to the edge and gets me standing up. And if you've ever, you know, stood someone up who's been laying down for a while, it takes a little while to get your balance. And I kind of just stood there and she hung on to me and I started shaking. That's how weak I was. And we had 15 feet to get to the bathroom door. And so she just tried to inch me over to the bathroom door. She said, take your time. We've got all day. Don't worry about it. But every minute that I was up, energy was fleeing me quickly. And so as we made it to the bathroom, right inside the door, there's a stand-up sink. And I got to the sink, and I just grabbed onto it with my hands and gripped it as hard as I could. And I said, I'm not going to make it. And she said, you only have a couple more feet. Just get to the shower, and, and it's all good. I'll take care of you. And I said, I can't make it, honey. I said, this is as far as I can go. And she said, do you think you could stand there for just a minute? And I said, I, th I think so. And so she disappeared. And all of a sudden, she comes back around the corner, and she's carrying a tub, and inside the tub is uh, soap, warm water, and a sponge. And she takes off my dirty, filthy hospital gown, and she takes that warm, wet, clean cloth and begins from the top of my head to wash my body. All the way down my arms, my back, my bottom, my legs, down to my feet. She got down in the dirtiest places, filthiest places in my life. Like, I stunk so bad, it was miserable. And I didn't ask her to do it. I didn't have an expectation that she was going to come in and bathe me and clean me up. I had a desire to be clean. And she saw that, and she put my interest above her own. And she was willing to not get anything out of it. And she got into the dirt because she loved me so much. And she cleaned me. And then she walked me back and put me back in bed. And that's the picture I believe that God wants for our relationships. There's nowhere in my life that I felt like I, I would not honor Tara and our relationship because I want to love her in a way that honors her and respects her and cares for her in the same way that she honored and loved me. And it's in those relationships where we put one another first out of reverence for God's sacrifice not because the other person deserves us to be good to them. In fact, we do it because the person, they, they don't deserve it, but we're gonna love them that way anyway because Jesus loved us in a way that we didn't deserve.
So I wanna just pray for you guys. God, thank you so much for Southside. Thank you for this amazing church. Thank you for what you're doing inside people's lives and their marriages. Thank you for the relationships that are here at Southside. God, we pray your blessing over each and every one. And Lord, this is a heavy message in some ways. Lord, when we look at our relationships, Tara and I have not been perfect. We have these iconic moments that are really good and, and help us get our grounding and we make good progress along the way, but we, we have pitfalls and arguments along the way and, and we have to sort those things back out through you, but Lord, we've committed ourselves to one another to try and do our best to put each other's interest above our own because of what you've done for us, Jesus. Thank you for sacrificing yourself for me when I didn't deserve it, and I pray that my relationship would look as one that I sacrifice myself for Tara, even when she doesn't deserve it, and vice versa. And Lord, that inside that relationship that the world around us will know that we're different, that we, we have something different about our lives because, Lord, you live inside of us. And so I pray for Southsiders and relationships today that, Lord, we'll go home and we'll think about Ephesians 5.21 and, and we'll work on it and we'll do our very best to put other people before us because of our gratitude for you. And God, that will bring honor and glory to you and show the world how much you love us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Awesome, guys. It's so good to be with you. Thank you. Hey, I hope you have a great, amazing week. If you love this message, come back next week. It's going to continue in a greater way. We love you all. Have a great week. Thanks for joining us. We'd love to see you at any of our three Sunday services held at Sardis Secondary School on Stevenson Road in Chilliwack, British Columbia. For more information, please visit southsidelife.com.